The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Puss had now become pickles. The once daring feline has now become this domesticated house cat. He's exhausted eight of his lives and now he's down to only one. And so he goes on this elusive chase to get the magic star so that he can wish one last wish more lives to to see if he can somehow regain the life that he has lost and he'll stop at nothing to find it let me ask you this question what are you looking for what are you missing what are you chasing after what's that magic star what is that one last wish that you wish that you could wish maybe you, you've, you've got yourself looking for this kind of life. Maybe you're trying to find that person that you were before the divorce. Maybe you're trying to look for that person before the, the, the addiction hit or before that devastation hit. Maybe your one last wish is to chase after this star that can somehow fill your life, i.e. a wife or i.e. a husband. Maybe it's that perfect Family picture where you got the 2.5 kids and you got the nice picket fenced in home or, or, or maybe that, that wish that you're chasing after, that life you're chasing after is that six-figure career or maybe it's that degree that you finally finished. You see, you, you chase after that life, don't you? Truth is, I chase after that life. We all, we chase after that life, but what we realize is that that life, that magic star, that one last wish is just as elusive as our friend, Puss in Boots. And so we work harder, we work longer, we think smarter to try to catch up and try to hang on and hold on to this life. But somewhere along the way of our looking, we end up losing something. We end up losing someone. We end up losing ourselves. What if, in order for us to find this life, there must be forfeiting that comes first. What if in order for us to gain, there has to be a loss? I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was accustomed to dealing with people who were constantly losing, losing their finances, losing their lives, losing their dreams. And Matthew was gaining as a result of their loss. You see, uh, as a tax collector back in those days, they were regarded as sinners. They were considered traitors because tax collectors were Jews that were employed by the Romans. These were foreign enemies to take money from other Jews. And so Matthew would be an individual that would be looked at and frowned upon. People would think, Matthew, why would you turn your back on your own people? Matthew, you see us losing. How come you keep on taking and you're gaining out of our expense? Matthew, how could you work for our enemy? And to make matters worse, while some of what Matthew and the rest of the tax collectors did was legitimate, they were known for padding their pockets in the process. They were known for for taking more than what was required. But all of it changed. All of it changed when he forfeited that life so that he, he can become a friend and follower of Jesus. And Matthew wrote a book, The Gospel According to Matthew, and he wrote about the life and death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. And in his book, he records a time where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. 
about losing his life, uh, about predicting his death, about preparing the disciples for his departure. And, and so Jesus is explaining to this, but one of his disciples, Peter in particular, did not like the picture of life that Jesus was painting. And so he reprimands Jesus. And Matthew records this in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, where it reads this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. That sounds pretty harsh for someone that's trying to make sure that your life is, is saved. He says, you are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, catch this, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Here's Peter. Peter is trying to preserve and protect the life of Jesus. And so he was willing to save his life. He says, heaven forbid, Lord. That's never going to happen. I mean, any one of us in Peter's position would probably want to do the same thing. No, Jesus, you're my friend. I'm not going to allow this to happen. But did you catch what Jesus tells Peter? He says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. And here's why. He says, because you are merely seeing things from a human point of view and not God's. It was hard for Peter to fathom and honestly, it's hard for people, for you and I to fathom that in God's economy, that in God's equation, in God's picture of life, in order for there to be gain, there must first come loss. In Peter's eyes, the human point of view, the kind of view that presents itself to be a trap, not only to Peter, but for the rest of the people around him, he sees that Jesus needs saving. But the way that Jesus saw it, was from a different vantage point, God's point of view. And what he saw was Peter, the rest of his disciples, his family members, the entire world is the one that needed saving. What we are willing to save and what we are willing to lose will determine the lens and how we view life. Here's Jesus. He's, he's, he's looking at Peter Peter's picture-perfect life does not involve Jesus having to lose his life. And Jesus is saying, you have got to forfeit that picture, Peter. You, you've got to let that picture go in order for you to see the bigger picture. Not just of your life, but of true life. And the challenge that Peter was given in that conversation is the challenge every single one of us are given in our lives. And it's this, that we must live with a God-sized view. We have to live with a God-sized view of life. Have you ever met an individual 
that has just blown you away with their view of life. I remember when I was 20 years old, I went on my very first missions trip and we worked in a hospice. And I met this beautiful soul named Grandmama. Grandmama was dying. She had lost both of her legs. And, and here we are. We're crowded around her room. And mind you, her room is right across from the incinerator while she will later go when she passes. And here we are. We're thinking, man, poor Grandmama. She has lost so much. But I watched in that room how this woman just led worship to a bunch of 20-year-olds and sang gratitude of praise to God. We're thinking, how can this woman who's lost so much sing like she's gained everything? Similarly, in this story, Puss and Kitty is now having a conversation with their newfound friend, Perito. And so Kitty says, so what's your story? And Perito begins to, to share his story. It was devastating. It was full of traumatic events from being lied to, to being physically harmed. But the way that he, he painted the picture, the view was not as bad. To which Kitty had to respond to Perito in awe and says, wow, that is the saddest funny story I have ever heard. If there was any person that needed a wish, it would be you. And just as you know it, in the, one of the final battle scenes of the movie, The Last Wish, everybody is trying to get their paws on this last wish. From Goldilocks and the three bears to Puss and Kitty. But guess who ends up with the magic star? It is none other than their old friend, Perito. Blow up already! Soft paws. Okay, okay, you know, maybe it's time to bury the hatchet! Oh, okay. oh I shouldn't have telegraphed it! Yeah, I don't know what to do with this, but if you think you need those lives... Thank you, Berito. You know, I've only ever had one life. Sharing it with you and Kitty has made it pretty special. Maybe one life is enough. Huh? What is that? Who's that? He's here for me. the chase, Gato. But I think we've reached the end now, you and I. You're gonna take the coward's way out, run away to more lives, or you're gonna fight! Pick it up. Go on, pick it up!
What's the matter? Lives flashing before your eyes? No. Just one. I'm done running. Fear me if you dare. Jesus says, if anyone tries to hang on to their life, they will lose it. In the original text, that word lose translates to destroy. Jesus literally says, if you're trying to hang on to this life in hopes that you don't lose it, what happens when you hang on is that that grip becomes tighter and you end up strangling it and essentially destroying it. In the scene, you, you see Puss. He's got a hold of the last wish. He's finally got the magic star. Perito gave it to him, and so he's got the wish to wish for more lives. But it came as a result of destroying his relationships and his friendships. And there was carnage all around him. And in order for him to, to truly see and live the life that was right in front of him to live, he had to let it go. But yet he had to face death in the process. I mean, wouldn't we all want to live a life where we would be willing to face death for it? Wouldn't we all want to live the type of life that we would be willing to die for, but more importantly, a life that we would be willing to live for? A life of joy, a life of fulfillment, a life of purpose, service, love, a life of full life. The reason why every single one of us wants to chase after that life is because that's not the the scene that's not the reflection that we see when we look into the mirror because the reality is living with a human point of view only will teach us how to make a living but it is only when we are living with a god-sized view of life that we learn how to make a life so how then can we live with a god-sized view of life. I, I want to give us some complimentary thoughts. And the first is this, to live with a God-sized view of life, give up your view. You have to give up your view. Let, let's go back here to the book of Matthew. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You know, oftentimes we as people, we can get in the way of seeing life at its fullest of view. And Jesus is saying that if you want to live with a God-sized view of life, you've got to be willing to give up your view. Now, several years ago, my wife and I, we, we took our three kids over to Disney World. Funny thing is, a few weeks back, someone asked my youngest daughter, Ellie, who's five, mind you, what is the most fun thing you've done all summer? Without hesitation, she tells this woman, I went to Disneyland. Now, I think she meant Disney World because I've never been to Disneyland in all of my life, to which I then had to tell this woman, my daughter has no context of time. We've not gone to Disney World at all this year. As a matter of fact, it was two years ago. Now, I'm glad that my daughter had such an impactful moment of that day that this, this was actually one of her highlights for this year, even though we didn't go this year. Because any parent that has taken any little ones to Disney World knows that it is crazy. Between the Florida heat, being shoulder to shoulder with complete strangers, just sweaty mess between trying to maneuver strollers up and down the magic kingdom and people stopping at random places to take selfies next to a castle and characters it's bananas but 
Disney had, 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 had this thought that the, the, the ending is actually the, the, the place where everyone wants to be. Because anyone who's mustered enough sanity to stay the rest of the day and to watch the fireworks at night, it is nothing short of spectacular. I mean, literally, thousands of people will crowd around this magical castle, grown men and grown women just standing in awe of the firework display. It's amazing. But it's pretty hard for a two-foot-tall kid to see past some grown man's back of their neck. And so there's times where I had to pick up my kids and, and times where I had to put my shoulder or put my daughters on my shoulder and I'm looking at the back of someone's head while my daughter is able to see beyond their heads and see a full view of the castle. And sometimes she had a better view than even myself. Here's Jesus. In order for you to live a God-sized life, the, the God-sized view of life, you have to be willing to give up your own way. You have to be willing to give up your view. You have to be willing to deny yourself. Now, denying self and self-denial are two completely different things. You see, self-denial is what we practice for good purpose to deny ourselves from certain activities or certain things, but denying self means that we are submitting our life, means that we are submitting our ways, submitting our wills, submitting our views, and we are determining to obey God. Denying self means that we are an others-centered kind of person. What that doesn't mean is that we think less of ourselves, meaning we blur healthy boundaries in our lives. We put ourselves in traumatic and unhealthy environments. That's not at all what it means. It just means that we are thinking of ourselves less for this purpose. I want to deny my view, give up my view so that others can have a better view of the God in you and I. I don't want to get in the way of the firework display of God's glory, of God's goodness, of God's peace. And so what that means is that I've got to be willing to deny myself so others can see the God in me. That's what it means to live with a God-sized view of life by giving up your view. Secondly is this, to live with a God-sized view of life, take up your cross. Pick it up. I know I can never defeat you, Lobo, but I will never stop fighting for this life. You're ruining this for me. I came here for an arrogant little legend who thought he was immortal. But I don't see him anymore. Live your life, Pussy Boots. Live it well. Lobos looks at Puss in Boots and says, I came here to find the arrogant legend that thought he was immortal. I don't see him anymore. Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, let him give up their own way 
Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. As if it wasn't bad enough that Jesus looks at his friends and says, I must be rejected. I've got to be tormented. And eventually, I've got to be put to death. That's pretty bad. And then he says, I want you to do the same. I want you to take up your cross and follow me. The cross was the, the public uh, torture device. It was the, the way that Romans would, would, would kill the criminals publicly. It was not only physically torturous, but it was publicly shameful. They would strip you down naked and nail you to this cross hanging so that you can dehydrate and eventually die. Put outside of the city for all to see, for all to mock you, for all to, to look at you and feel the shame. The cross was a symbol of execution. Uh, the, the, the statement that Jesus is telling his disciples, if you want to be my follower, you got to take up your cross. What Jesus wasn't trying to say is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get that Bible verse tatted on your chest. Or I, I want you to get that, that chain with the cross pendant. That's what I mean by taking up your cross. No, it wasn't about religious tradition. It wasn't about religious services. It wasn't about the spiritual feeling. It, this was a symbol of execution if if jesus was to put it in modern terms it would it would sound a little bit like this i want you to walk down death row daily with me i want you to walk down death row daily and follow me this was a one-way journey this was not a round trip where you get to go back to to the other place no i it's a journey of of of, of taking up your cross there's a an individual by the name of Paul. He was an apostle. Now, prior to his conversion, he was an individual that was accustomed to seeing Christians be put to death. As a matter of fact, he lived his life feeling like I'm doing God a service by putting to death other Christians. And until there was a moment where there was this miraculous transformation that took place, he comes face to face with God and, and he, he became blinded. But then when, when, when all of a sudden the, the light bulb, so to speak, turned on, it's, it was as though scales fell off his eyes. Like he began to see differently. And so rather than an individual who was persecuting Christians, he became transformed into an individual who started spreading the gospel all throughout the world and started making more people follow Jesus, telling him about his salvation. And so he wrote a, a letter to the people of Galatia about this concept of the cross. And he says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, it's no longer I who live. I have to put to death who I am. It is now Christ who's living in me. Likewise, Puss in Boots had to put to death the arrogant legend, the one who, who felt like he could just cheat death over and over again, the one who lived his life as though he was immortal. He had to put to death that person in order for him to see the full life that was right in front of him to live. Lobos at the end, he says, live your life well. Likewise for us, we've got to be willing to put to death 
our pride. We've got to be willing to put to death our arrogance. We've got to be willing to put to death our own desires. We have to be willing to put to death our own wills, our own wants in order for Christ to truly live in you and I, for us to take up the life of Christ, for us to take up the life of joy, for us to take up the life of peace, for us to take up the life of fulfillment. This only happens when we are living with scales removed from our eyes, with a God-sized view of life. And lastly is this, to live with a God-sized view, follow him. Matthew, it says, Jesus turned to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you'll save it. Who you are following will determine how you are focusing. Whether we are focusing with a human point of view or whether we are focusing with God's point of view. For Peter... Peter was focusing on his own perspective and he did not like the outcome of Jesus picture of life and so therefore he was willing to change the plan Peter's perspective was going to cause him to have a different plan can you imagine if 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 Peter actually executed his plan well and he says heaven forbid lord this will never happen to you can you imagine if he stopped the crucifixion can you imagine if he stopped jesus from sacrificing his life it would have brought about more problems not just for peter but for every single one of us and jesus challenged to peter the rest of his disciples and all of us is that in order for us to live with a god-sized view of life we cannot settle for partial perspective we can't settle for peter's perspective and here's why. If we want to live with a God-sized view of life, it will require following God fully. Not just when it all makes sense in our heads, because prior to this conversation, prior to Peter being called Satan by Jesus, before that, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Not that Jesus was insecure. He just wanted to know what they were saying. And, and Peter pipes up and says, you're the son of God. You are the Messiah. I mean, Jesus begins to affirm and encourage Peter. Now, it'd be easy to follow Jesus when you're feeling encouraged, when you're feeling like, I got it right. But then, in this conversation, he says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. We have to be willing to follow Jesus, even when it doesn't look right in our own logic even when it doesn't make sense in our own thinking even when it seems like it's not desirable because the fruit of following jesus is everything we are trying to find in life if you want to to have a life of joy follow Jesus, I promise you, he'll give you joy because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. If you want to have a, a life of peace, follow Jesus because he's the prince of peace. And so if, if he's going with you, peace is coming along with him. If you want a life of fulfillment, he wants to give you fulfillment by following him. Follow Jesus and you'll experience the fruit of the life you're trying to find. But it seems as though we can rob the ripeness of that fruit by desiring the picture but wanting it with our own plans. 
wanting it with our own perspective. And oftentimes, that's exactly what we do. Where we desire that picture, the picture of contentment, the picture of love, the picture of life. But we, we look at it through the lens of our own perspective. And we, 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 we operate with, with our own planning. And it, rather than saving it, we destroy it. So we destroy relationships. We destroy ourselves mentally, emotionally. We, we destroy ourselves financially. We destroy ourselves physically. And it ends up leading us to a place of death and ruin. And all of this is due to what Jesus refers to as sin. You see, sin is any thought, any action, any intention that literally disregards God's point of view. This is why Jesus looks at Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. It's the sin inside of us that causes us to see only with our own point of view and disregarding God's view, not knowing that it becomes a trap, a trap for you and I where we're stuck in a, in a path of destruction and ruin and death forever, separated from God and all things good for eternity. But God... God loved you and I so much that he saw our sin was going to separate us from him and essentially destroy our lives. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to rescue us because the price of salvation was expensive and it was life. Not just any life, but the life of God's one and only son, Jesus. And this is why Jesus said it to Peter. He says, it is necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Jesus came to take on the penalty of our sin by dying in order to defeat death once and for all, so that those that will believe in Jesus by faith would be forgiven but Jesus didn't remain dead that's what he was trying to get through to Peter Peter it's necessary for me to suffer Peter it's necessary for me to be tortured Peter it is necessary for me to die it's necessary but Peter it's temporary Jesus raises from the grave defeating sin death and hell so that those that will believe in him by faith would not only be forgiven but would be given new and everlasting life when we place our faith in Jesus it's almost as though our our, our lives get corrected lenses all of a sudden the sin that causes us to see life only from our point of view disregarding God's and separating ourselves from God it moves out and the Spirit of God opens our eyes to seeing a life through his lens and the Spirit of God dwells within us to live a God-sized kind of life. Maybe you're here this weekend, and perhaps God is starting to remove some of the scales from your eyes. You're starting to see the life that He's, he's promised for you, a life of, of peace, a life of joy, a life of satisfaction, a life of full life. You see, the only way that we can live a God-sized kind of life is what Jesus says, follow me. And if today you've never made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you make that your request this weekend? Would you say, Jesus, I'm turning away from my sin, the things that's causing me to disregard your view, and I want to follow you. Would you forgive me and fill me with a new life so that I may live a God-sized view of life? If that's you today, can I just say, welcome home. Welcome to our family 
Welcome to the family of God. We'd love nothing more than just to know about your decision. We want to celebrate you. So there's going to be a QR code that's going to pop up on the screen here. Go ahead and scan that QR code. Our campus pastors would love to give you some next steps on your new faith journey. I'm going to invite you. Would you stand with us right now? We're going to have a prayer team on either sides of, of the front. Some of our campuses are going to be out in the back. During this time, this next song we're going to sing, maybe you're in need of prayer. Our prayer team are available. We'd love to pray with you. We believe in the power of prayer. But we're going to sing a song much like the prayer that, 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 that the Apostle Paul said. It's the words of the Apostle Paul. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That in order for us to truly live the God-sized view of life, it's going to require God to live in us. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I pray that all throughout our campuses that you are beginning to open eyes right now in the name of Jesus, that you would begin to, to, to correct the lenses and how we view life, that more than anything that we chase after, we chase after you. More than chasing after purpose, more than chasing after joy, more than chasing after satisfaction, we chase after Jesus. We chase after the Savior. We follow you. And so, Lord, will we focus our eyes on you? Will we lift you up and live for you as you live through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.